Tonight will be our, our final uh, night in Exodus with me as we make it to chapter 23. Well, <clears throat> this, this chapter here, it, it, and this is what you're going to find as you keep going through the law, is going to keep rehashing the Ten Commandments and the other laws, a total of 613 laws, and... Um, and it seems like this here is like a one-liner sheet. It's, it's almost like judges sort of read through this one-liners on the various laws. Most of them have already been discussed to sort of remind them of God's heart on the various issues. So, for example, you'll see here in verse 1, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So if, you know, you get caught in the moment sometimes and, and uh, people are blah, 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 you know, it, isn't that right? And you're like, it's our human nature to want to be agreeable. That's just the way we're brought into this world. We, we don't want confrontation. We don't want to say you're wrong. And, and, and even if we disagree with the person, if, if they say it to you that way, isn't that right? You're, you're just going to sort of go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you know. And then later you think about it, and you're like, no, that wasn't true at all. And, and I got dragged into it, um, especially if they're talking about somebody else. And if they're gossiping or slandering and I think unless we're meditating on this in advance, we're just going to get sucked right in. And we'll walk away feeling dirty and a part of a conversation that we didn't want to be a part of, you know. And, and, and you walk away going, how did that happen? And, and this is what I discover as I've taught verse by verse to the Bible, is that a huge percentage of what we're teaching on isn't relatable at this moment, but it comes relatable in the weeks to come as you meditate on it. And I, and I thought about that. And it's like, that just makes sense. I mean, God tells us things we already know and, and reinforces those things we know. And then uh, in the moment, we're reminded uh, and, and maybe a greater insight to a truth but I think there's a big percentage that we, we go, no, that, that doesn't speak to me at all. That doesn't apply to me at all. That, no, I'm, you know, that's a Bible truth, and I hear the teaching of it. It doesn't apply to me. And then two weeks later, you're going, ah, oh, yeah, that verse radically applies to me. I just didn't have a life experience yet to tie in with that truth. But now as I've heard the truth, and it's in my heart, in my mind. Now when the life experience comes, I realize, wow, I, 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 can, I need to get out of this. Or again, you just sort of develop as you mature as a human being, uh, but also as a Christian, just to, to stop it. And just to say, yeah, you know what? You know what? I'm very uncomfortable with this conversation. Because it says that when we speak, it should get edification to the hearers. And there's a lot of speculation going on. Um, and even if what you're saying is 100% true, it's not helping anybody. It's making me feel bad or, or making me dislike a person that I don't really know that well. But you're putting thoughts in my head. I'm never getting out. I always wanted that in, in juries where the judge says, jury, just disregard that last statement. That's like the main one I remember now. <laughs> the other, the whole day, I forgot everything except the one thing he told me not to forget, and I can't forget that one. So it's our mind. It's, it's a unique instrument, isn't it? It's like no other thing in all of creation. And so you've got to not put your hand to it. You've got to put your hand against it and stop it and say, you know what? No, I am not going to share in this. Let's change the subject. What do you think about those stinking Democrats instead? Let's talk about them. 
Oh, man. News. News is tormenting. But anyway, verse 2. Now, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside from many to pervert justice. Interesting, back in my freshman year of high school, I was 25. I was a late bloomer. No. <laughs> I, I was 15. And, and, and I remember going for the first time to a large high school. And I'm coming out of a classroom, and here comes all these kids running. And you know what I did, right? You run with the bulls. What's going on? And I'm running, and there were just two guys just pounding on each other. And this group of 30 people turned into a group of 500 people. And I was just sickened watching them just beat each other to a pole. And uh, a couple weeks later, here comes another thing. And basically, it was the same thing, or somebody getting picked on, bullied on, or whatever. And uh, in just reading the Bible, I came across this scripture. And it says, don't follow the crowd. When you know, and, and I just, when I saw them running, it, everything in me wanted to go run because curiosity. But I just turned and, and went the other way. And this is what it's talking about. Don't, don't join in to the crowd because they start, you know, wanting to hang the guy or stone the guy or yell at the guy. And, and, and the, the passion of the crowd, it's, it's addicting. I was at a basketball game last night, and, and boy, everybody starts clapping. And I, I was sort of, you know, one, my mind wandered up, and then I started clapping. And I'm like, why am I clapping? I wasn't sure half of the time, but I couldn't stop clapping until everybody else stopped. That's just, again, it's just the way we're made. In verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. He's just saying, don't favor the poor guy because he's poor. Now, as you read through the law, you're going to see that much of our American, uh, all three branches, are, are very biblical, and, and our forefathers did not hide the fact that they got their information and their inspiration both from scriptures in putting together our three branches of government, especially the judicial branch. And so, um, you know, the, the, the scales in the hands and blind and deaf and all of this is right here. You know what? Don't say... Oh, this guy's suing this guy, and, and uh, yeah, he's a poor guy. This guy, he's got a thousand camels. What's going to be if this guy gets a couple of them? Yeah, you know, I don't want to hear the case. Just help the poor guy out, would you? Get out of here. Nope, can't do that. Now, in verse 6, he's going to say the opposite, but verse 4 and 5 first. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see a donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you would refrain from helping it. You shall surely help him with it. So we start to see here the heart of God. Of course, Jesus just blatantly says it. Here, again, a lot of the things that are said in the Old Testament, God is slowly bending them towards what he really wants to say through Christ, whether it's on the issue of divorce or polygamy or slavery or he finally you know in Christ he just lays it out no that was never my will well Moses said that in the law we could divorce our wife if we you know found her displeasing you know what do you say they, they knew it wasn't God's complete heart or what would they ask they, they knew it's like even though God said that it didn't ring true with the nature of God in totality so why did God say that when I don't think that's really what God is wanting to say on the subject. They sensed it. And Jesus says, you're right. Moses gave that to you out of concession. It was never the will of God because the hardness of your heart. If he said, no, you can't divorce your spouse, you were going to pack up and go live with the Moabites or something. You weren't going to stay in the family. And so because of your hardness of your heart, he, he, he allowed this concession but as we know, Jesus eventually is going to say, love your enemies, bless them, pray for them, 
do good to them. If they're hungry, feed them, right? If they're thirsty, give them to drink. Don't be overcome with evil. Um, overcome evil with good. But you know, what I think is, again, a big part of the law is there to suppress the tendencies we would do naturally, whether it's to lie or to be greedy or be lustful or whatever. And, and so uh, those tendencies we would just do unless God said, hey, stop. I created sex, but I created it in this fashion. I created money, but in this way. I created... And, and so on the other side of the coin, I think there's, again, tendencies of things we wouldn't do that we should do. And so we have the sins of omission and commission. The sins of commission are when you do something you shouldn't have done, but sins of omission is when you should have done something, but you didn't do anything. And that's equally a sin, right? Um, right now on the news with the Florida shootings, they're getting on some of the police officers because they should have done something when they didn't do anything. And they're wanting to hold them uh, negligent uh, because they should have done something. And, and Trump, the president says, man, if I were there, I would have done something or I had a gun or not. And I sort of feel that way too. And I, you know, but you have different personalities. You have the fight or the flight. Some people, you know, run towards the fire to put it out. And some people run away from the fire. Um, it, it's just different at times, but there are certain personalities that, that tend to do that. But I think it's in all of us to see somebody that we're mad at or hate or don't like, or they don't hate us, or they're trying to hurt us, and to see them in a, in a distressing situation and our hearts to give it a little bit. <laughs> they got a flat tire, serves them right. You know, kick a little extra exhaust out your pipe as you hit the gas pedal. That's a sign of bitterness. That, that's, that, that you are in serious spiritual darkness if your heart rejoices in the difficulties or loss or calamity uh, of somebody that doesn't like you or, and because you feel that negativity of how they feel about you. Maybe they don't even think that, but now you feel it equally back, you know, sort of a sword fight to self-protectionism self-protection mechanism. They don't like me. Well, I don't like them either. I didn't like them first. Before they didn't like me. You know, try to save the pride. But he's saying here, no. You know what? Even if nobody's around and you see one of their cows injured in the field, you've got to go help them. Or you see the guy trying to get his donkey back up. It tripped and it can't get itself back up. You go over and, and help him lift that donkey back up. Don't you think God has such divine appointments to test our hearts? To test our hearts, to see what's in them? But also to heal us, you know? Um, and, and so, again, you know, here, here you're walking out this country road and you see something up there in the distance, and here's this guy trying to get his donkey out of this hole, and, and you're going, hey, what's going on? And you see who it is, you're going, oh, man. Anybody else that can help? Nobody's around. You know, I just want to spit on this guy and break the other leg of his donkey and keep going, you know? And it's like, nope, nope. I got to resist those impulses. And you know what? I need to, what do you think the relationship's gonna be like afterwards? It's gonna be less bitter, don't you think? Less hatred, less animosity. And so this is again, God sort of getting the breadcrumbs of where he really wants to say, love your enemy, bless them, pray for them, do good to them. Well, in verse six, you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Now, the opposite of verse three. So don't, don't uh, let the wealth or the lack of wealth of somebody change your judgment. Be blind to that. Justice is be blind. I'm just hearing the case. I'm not saying you're educated, you're not educated. I'm not looking at your male or female or your race or how rich you are or poor you are or famous or not famous. I, I just need to have proper 
justice without being swayed um, by the status of that person. Well, in verse 7, stay away from the type of people that lie and kill the innocent. Oh, excuse me. Verse 7. I was reading my own notes. Keep yourself far from the false matter. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for it will not justify the wicked. So if you have somebody, a teenager, junior higher, thinking about getting in a gang, here's a verse. You know what? It's, it's a powerful, powerful desire that starts creating in the junior high years to find identity in a group. You know, I remember back in the goth days where people would paint themselves completely white and black clothes and look like vampires because they wanted to belong to a group. And then you guys remember those days, pants on the ground, right? Pants on the ground, pants on, remember that? So anyway, where they're walking around and tripping and falling because they're got their pants down to their knee. It's, it's, it's pretty silly, but yet, they need to have that belonging, and that's why youth pastors and youth ministries and school teachers uh, need to create that. They need to create that and, and to say, look, we are a gang. <laughs> We're a gang of Christians. We're a gang of young people who are seeking the Lord, and, and here's what we do. We go to the orphanage, and we go on mission trips, and we, we have events. You can bring your friends and let them be in a safe healthy, fun environment. And uh, it's, it's just an incredible giant pool. And uh, as parents, you need to keep an eye on that. But here's a great verse to say, you know what? Don't do it. Boy, the Proverbs has a lot about this as well. In verse 8, And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Now this is sort of funny. Uh, because we live right next to Mexico. And uh, a lot of you guys are grinning, going, yeah. Um, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> but let me tell you, more than once, I've been on the mission field with two missionaries debating each other, almost ready to fight each other over bribe or don't bribe. Because here we are with a a van full of supplies for the orphanage that's worth maybe a couple thousand dollars and and you know you're going to get waved over and they're going to say where's your paperwork they're going to hassle you for hours and then probably tell you to turn around and go back uh, or pay them a bribe eventually and they've been through this so many times and uh, you know I, I've had missionaries that have been in Mexico and other Latino cultures for years, and they don't pay one bribe ever. They just say, man, you're just feeding the system. we got to stand our ground. But to their own admission, they've lost thousands of dollars of, of uh, supplies as well that we're trying to get to the missionaries and the orphanages and stuff. And then you got the other guys going, you know what? I'll fight. I'll conquer this mountain on another day right now. Uh, our orphans need, um, you know, these hot tamales and, and stuff. We got to get them down there to them. And, uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't know what to say in that. Um, I, I, I've looked back on situations realizing there were one in a bribe. I was too stupid to know it. But, uh, and uh, later on said, well, just give him a bribe. And I said, no, he told me to follow him. The cop said, follow me to the police station. And uh, I started following him and he took off. And I'm like, how am I supposed to follow him? He's gone. And, and somebody said, you idiot, you're supposed to give him a bribe. And uh, it's like, okay, well, I didn't know that. But uh, man, that's a tough one. So I, I would say the Bible says what it says. But um, beat unto you and your own conscience on what that means um, to you in different situations. You know, I, 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 could, I can think of a lot of situations I would pay a bribe. I, I think back during the Holocaust when they were trying to get Jews out of the country and you could pay off certain street cops or whatever to look the other way so you could smuggle Jews out. 
you know, at that point, it's not about, well, I want to keep this Nazi comfort country from being uh, corrupt about bribery. It's like uh, there's bigger things to deal with right now than how corrupt the Nazi government is. Anyway, in verse 9, also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So you can see these are things we've already covered, and actually in more detail, but yet we're getting all these one-liners. So it seems to me to say, now on that issue about strangers and foreigners, and we talked a little bit about that, just remember this one thing. <laughs> Don't oppress them. Wherever you come down under your judgment, you need to take into account that the foreigner is a foreigner and God's watching you whether they're getting oppressed. And if you're the oppressor, God says, I'm going to oppress you and your whole family, if you remember in a teaching last week on this. So it's sort of a heavy uh, topic, especially in light of what's going on with us right now. You know, again, um, when, when, when you don't have laws to stop wrong behavior or illegal behavior or uncontrolled behavior, and or you have the laws, but you don't have people that will really enforce them. You know, we got a lot of wonderful laws in our state that would make our state a whole lot better our city, but nobody's going to enforce them because they're not politically correct. I mean, right now, the, the, the you know, when I say homeless, I, I really don't talk about the homeless. I think the actual homeless population is very small. People who have lost their job, who really don't want to be homeless, and if you'd give them a hand, they would start working, they would get a house. I think those are homeless people. Then I think there are just street people. They, there's, it's just sort of fun, living like a pirate, you know? <laughs> I don't have anything except what I have on my backpack. You know, I stash in these bushes. I just, you know, like, you know, the hoboing, you know, I'm going to go be a hobo, they used to say, and you jump on the rails and ride them and get off and eat what you find and, you know, meet, meet interesting people and write your, your journey, you know, write your book on being a hobo across America for a year. Bumming it, they used to say, right? Cross, I'm going to go bumming across Europe. So those are just street people that are, are, are just, unfortunately, too many people have the same idea, and, and they're just pummeling uh, the cities, especially in California. And then a lot of those people, or people that are just out-and-out out, um, street addicts, they're, they're criminals, they're destroying their lives, and as soon as they destroy them enough, then we start paying them to destroy their life more because now they are on disability. So they go get a check for $1,600 to go buy more beer and drugs and illegal behavior. And I think, that, I think that's a huge percent. Now, I think of all of those, you've got a percent that are mentally ill that, that we really have to address and help. And, but what, what do we have now? It's such a gigantic problem. I mean, if you start trying to unpile this, it's a mountain. And so now, you know, just like with the immigration thing, it's a mountain. It's not dealing with hundreds of people, it's dealing with millions of people. And really, millions and millions of people, if you look at the chain migration and, and so forth going, each one of those 1.8 can bring another, you know, 10 times that in to the country just because they're somehow related to them. So I'm not making a political statement either way. I'm just saying you touch the subject like we're looking at immigration, and it's like, you know, it's like a, a doctor touching somebody's back who's, who's out. Is it hurt here? Ah! <laughs> you know, um, this is what's going on. And so what we do is it's just like, oh, it's a million people. Oh, I'll just I'll, I'll deal with this. Oh, it's two million people. Oh, I'll deal with that. Ten million people. Oh, I'll deal with that. And in the same now with the, the street thing, it's like, oh, you're against street people. Oh, you're against, you know, helping the poor. It's like, you know what? There's some real clear scriptures. You don't work, you don't eat. 
The best thing that happened to the prodigal son is when he was starving and he said, I got to get things right back at home. And, and so <laughs> I, I've dealt with, with homeless ministries. I've been a part of them at times. And there's some wonderful fruit that has come out of that. Like I said, genuinely homeless people who just need a job, need a place to stay, help out. But the others, I, I just think we're enabling something that's cancerous, that's only going to get worse. And right now, I, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go to San Francisco if you paid me to go there. I wouldn't go downtown LA. I don't even want to go downtown San Diego. I was down there with my wife trying to eat, and, and we were like having to go through the barrage of people talking to us and asking stuff of us, just trying to get to the restaurant. And then when we come out, I had 15 people trying to get our little bag of leftovers, you know? And, and it just stinks with urine and poop, and, and we're just trying to get to our car. And I, I just, this was, what, a couple of years ago, I said, I'm never coming back down here again. This is, this is ridiculous. So your tax dollars are paying for the streets, and uh, you can't walk on them. <laughs> and if you do, watch out, you don't step on a needle. Well, I should put Fox News up here on the front of my... <laughs> Brian and Hannity. Sorry about that. It's over. Get it out of my system. Verse 10. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive groves. It's always funny when people say, uh, God of that Old Testament, he was one mean old guy. But the New Testament, that God, Jesus, woo yeah, he's a hippie, long hair, living a robe, cool dude. You know, he's really living that live. It's ridiculous. You read the Bible, it's the same God, same nature, same characteristics. God is saying, you shall take a one-year vacation every seven years. You got it? You're so mean, God. I, anybody want to sign up for Judaism right now? It's like... I'll get circumcised. Let's do it here. Let's, if we're going to obey this, uh, let's, let's make this happen. I mean, this is not oppressive. This is wonderful. And then on top of that, people that made bad financial decisions or went through something, they now can go out and pick all the apples and whatever and then go in and sell it, even sell you your own apples, <laughs> and get themselves out of debt. That's every seventh year. And then on the 49th year, it leads into the 50 years of Jubilee, where everybody's debts are erased. Everything's a fresh start. Nobody owes anybody anything fresh start year. So they get the whole seventh year to get stuff back up. They're not having to use any of that money to pay off any debts or anything. It's just a get a bundle of money to move forward. See, that's, that's, it's not welfare. It's not charity. They, they work for it. And, uh, and of course, it's not here. But if you had a field, you had to leave the corners of your field for the poor. And then when you were harvesting and you dropped some fruit or you, you didn't get it all, if, you, if you've ever been in a agricultural society, when you go through like picking tomatoes, you, you only get a percentage of them. A lot of them aren't ready to be picked yet. Um, a lot of them you just don't see because of your angle where you're standing when you pick them. Of course, now they have big giant machines that do it, but you only had one pass at your field. And then the poor, then the rest of it was given to the poor. So there was a huge way people could uh, get out of their poverty and this was one of them. You know what? Here's one of those laws that the children of Israel never obeyed one time. Not once. And we had for 490 years when they get into the land, God said, stop it. You have not given me my seventh year tithe. So now 
I'm taking it. And that's the book of Daniel. You're going to go into bondage. You're going to go into Babylon for 70 years until I get my seventh year Sabbath back. So understand, with tithing and, and offerings and giving, God loves us too much to prosper you with stealing from him. You know, the Bible makes it clear. The tithe is the Lord's. It's not yours. The Bible makes it clear. If you hold back your tithe, then you're robbing God. It's just a fact, and he, he makes it clear. It's like you can gather it, but I'm going to poke my finger in it, and it's going to spill on the ground. You're going to drink, and I'm going to make you thirstier. You're going to eat, and I'm going to keep you hungry. Because you're not honoring me, I'm not going to honor you. And so this is an interesting thing. And I think, again, it's one of those things where God tests our hearts. Was it a huge thing for a big percentage of the people to not have a whole year's income? I mean, a lot of us are going, man, if I give a tie, that's 10%. Can I really make it through a month without that 10%? But yet, once people do it, God starts providing, and they start seeing it. And they're going, how did I ever think that holding back the tithe was going to get me ahead? Tithing is actually getting me ahead. And I'm even tithing more, and they're giving more and more. And, and God's honoring it and blessing it. And that's, that's the way it works, guys. God says it, plain as can be, and, and here's one of those things that they just didn't have faith to take a year and rest, a year off and trust the Lord in that year. They just didn't have it, and uh, it's too, too bad. Well, in verse 12, on the six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. So you workaholics out there, take it easy on your ox and your donkey. Well, I'm still feeling great. I know, but your donkey's not. Your ox isn't. Give the car a break. Right? Give the phone a break. Give your ear a break. And in verse 13, and in all that I have said to you, be circumcised, or be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Don't talk about the foreign pagan gods. Don't talk about it. Later on now, it's going to evolve. And God's going to say, here's what's going to happen if you don't obey this verse. You're going to go into the land and you're going to see their temples and you're going to see their steps. And you're going to see their places where they did their sacrifices. And you're going to start being inquisitive. Well, I wonder how they pray to their gods. I wonder how they sacrifice to their gods. I wonder how they worship their gods. I wonder what their gods taught them. And he said that curiosity is going to bring you in and you'll start worshiping their pagan gods. So don't even ask what do they believe or how they think. And so when people come to me and say, hey, you know, I want to learn about the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses or the Muslims. I ask them, I'm like, is God calling you to that ministry? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? Is God calling you to defend the faith, to, to be a missionary to that group? And if that's the case, dedicate yourself to it, and I will help you get there. I'll get the books. I'll get the teachings. Now, sometimes they say, no, I just had a, a friend at work that's thinking about becoming a Mormon. I, I just want to try to you know, shovel some information their way. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's do that then. But um, so I'm not, I'm not saying greater he, is he that is in us than he is in the world. I'm not afraid of uh, the fear of somebody studying on Mormonism, becoming a Mormon. But uh, I have had more than one person through the years say, oh, yeah, I've been having those Jehovah's Witnesses over my house every Saturday. They're so nice. They brought me cookies, and, and I had a cold, and they brought me some medicine, and we talk. And, 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 you know, I cannot see any difference between Jehovah's Witnesses and Christianity. And I've been going to their church, and I just want you to know they're wonderful people. And I don't, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, they they say the same words, but they mean something totally different. And and you know, let me go over there and talk. Sometimes that's happened, and I confront them, and and they head out the door, and and uh, I I can tell you a lot of stories about it, but it just it's, are you getting in the word for your own spiritual growth? Or are you just getting sidetracked with 
uh, curious minds wanting to know curious things. Well, in verse 14, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. This is men that were 20 years old and above were to come to wherever the ark was, the ark of the covenant, the temple, which would eventually be Jerusalem. They would gather together and usually they would bring their families. The guys only had to be there, but usually a whole family affair came. It was a, and, and typically um, it took about three months out of the year again. In the course of the year, I order you to take three months off. Every seventh year, take the whole year out. Um, it's interesting when you, you look at God really giving some definite times of sabbatical and rest. It says there, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, and as I commanded you, in the time appointed in the month of Abeb, for it is to you, for it and for in it you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me. Empty. So let's cover that a minute. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have Passover, and then right after Passover, you begins the seven days of unleavened bread. So if you think about it, Passover is a day of rest. So you have to do it before Passover. You've got to start preparing for this. Uh, Jews today usually would take the whole month to uh, evolve getting rid of all leaven. And you'd be surprised how many different boxes and recipes and all kinds of things have leaven in that you and I would never even know had leaven in them. But yet they got to inquire. And, and uh, it would always be a fun thing where they would uh, hide one little piece of leaven and, uh, in the house. And, uh, and all the kids would go looking through the drawers and under the beds and try to find it. And, and then they'd go outside and they'd burn up the unleavened. And they have that time. And it's held during March, April. They're, they're on the lunar calendar. So usually it's our March and April when it is. And um, that was one of the feasts. So usually the Passover is when everybody would try to get to Jerusalem. And Jews now that aren't in Jerusalem having Passover, they end every Passover Seder by saying, the final thing they say, it's about a four-hour meal, they'll say, Next year, Jerusalem. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's their goal in their life, to wherever they're scattered to the four corners of the earth, to at least have one time in their life where they're having Passover in Jerusalem. Next is the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the Feast of Ingathering, the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before God. So you have the, the first of the year harvest and then the end of the year harvest. So the first harvest, uh, known as the first of free, feast of first, first fruits, too many F's in that, uh, there are the feast of weeks. We know it as Pentecost, and it's held 50 days after the day of Pentecost. So you have Pentecost, the seven days of unleavened bread, and then you got several more days till the day of Pentecost was fully there. And that's in Acts chapter 2, right? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit poured upon them, the mighty rushing wind with tongues of fire. Uh, there's the fulfillment of that. And then the end gathering is, again, this, this one's now held at the end of the year, which would be uh, September or October for us. And this is also known as the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tents or Tabernacles. And this is fulfilled in Christ. As a matter of fact, in John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word flesh, or the word dwelt there, is the word tabernacled. The Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And we beheld His glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what this was is they would build um, out of palm branches and, and just rough wood, they would build a little lean-to. And they would stay out for several nights under that lean-to. And it's to remind them of what they went through, how God brought them out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and how they had to live in the wilderness for 40 years. And so you would 
stay under that tabernacle every night. The whole family would sleep out there. Think the kids like this? Again, you know, God's like going, you guys are going to go camping once a year, like it or not. And of course, if you're downtown New York and all you have is a terrace, guess what? You're sleeping out on your terrace. You go get some branches and make a little tabernacle out on your terrace. Um, wherever you can find a place to do it, you do it. And uh, again, it's interesting how God just humbles us. You know, unless we are converted, Jesus said, unless you're converted and become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Years and years later, <laughs> the book of Nehemiah. We're talking now they've already gone through the Babylonian exile. So they've been hundreds of years since this time. And Nehemiah is reading the scriptures. And the people are weeping because they'd never heard these things before. And then he read about the tabernacle. And they're going, what is this? Feast of Tabernacles? And they explained it to him. And it says there in the scriptures, for they had not done tabernacle since the days of Joshua bringing them into the land. That very first generation did it maybe once and never did it again until hundreds and hundreds of years later under the, the tutelage of Nehemiah. Pretty, pretty uh, startling to realize how plain these things are in the scripture. And, and they just, no, we haven't done it last year. We didn't do it the year before. Oh, my parents never said they never did it. And boy, we need to relook at ourselves, huh? Because this isn't so much about disobedience as it is human nature. And we get into ruts. Boy, last Sunday's message, if you weren't here, listen to that message, man. Jesus was just hot about them thinking of a Christianity where there was no cross, no suffering, no denying yourself. He said it was of Satan. And, and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, fasting and praying? No, I don't know anything about fasting. But I, I read that. Is that in the Bible? I think the Muslims do that. I don't think Christians do that even, do they? You know, um, sharing your faith, going out and, and knocking on the door and telling somebody they need to come to Christ. Oh, oh, I think they did that back in the 1800s, didn't they? I don't think anybody actually goes out and shares their faith openly with somebody they don't know, do they? Man. Let's, let's go read the New Testament again. And let's ask ourselves, is there Feast of Tabernacles? Are there things that God clearly said to do? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, we could go on, huh? And, but yet, we, we get, just get in this mode, knowing what God's Word says, but just saying, nobody's doing that. So, I, well, let's just ignore that verse and go on. Well, then the Feast of Ingathering, um, that is the Feast of Tabernacles. He's talked about that. In John chapter 7, Jesus was, the whole chapter is with Jesus going up to Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they knew he would go up. And they were plotting a plan to kill him. And his own brothers, uh, according to the flesh, uh, half-brothers, from Mary were all in on it, trying to provoke him to go up openly so he could be killed. That's how much they didn't believe in him. It tells us there in John 7. Well, in verse 18, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. So again, no leavened bread, nothing left out smoldering and you got charred little remains and fat and stuff around. No, fully consumed the sacrifice and no leaven. And in verse 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So he's making it clear again. Give God the first. But, 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 but what if I, I better wait till the end of the month to make sure. This is the whole point of it. You're giving him the best and you're giving it by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Yeah, and, and I get it, man. It is scary. And, uh, I, you know, often people don't help their kids do it when they're children, and you should. 
you know, whatever they, it says they increase, they get $20 for their birthday money or they, you know, get some money for chores, you, you help them. Okay, this money goes to tithe, this money goes to savings, um, this money is set aside for daddy, um, and, uh, and this you can spend on, enjoy it with, and, and just to help them understand. And uh, if they do it right from the beginning, if you help them do it on a dollar, but what happens is often Christians just fight this and fight this and fight this because Jesus said, I can break down all the gods into the world in two, the true and living God and money. That's it. You love the one, hate the other, cling to the one, despise the other. Oh, Brian's talking about tithing again. I wish I hadn't come tonight. That's right. You love the one, hate the other, cling to the one, despising the other. Are you saying, man, preacher Brian, it set me free when I started tithing. Man, I want them to have that joy. I want them to walk by faith and have the treasures in heaven. Man, that's what should be going on in your heart. God doesn't need your money. God owns the hills and all the cattle on the thousand hills. He says in uh, Micah, the, the, all the gold and the silver is mine. <laughs> right? And he can provide. Remember he told Peter to go catch a fish and open it up and there'd be all the money you need to pay his taxes. God's, God's not, God does, he's, he, he's God the Father trying to raise up children. He's not the Godfather trying to make a deal that you can't refuse, okay? Um, and, and so again here, it's by faith you're giving the first, the best. And uh, in verse 19, the second part, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So, you know, that's, that's pretty cruel. You know, you're going to have a little lamb and, and you're wanting to cook it and you go milk the mother and take the goat's milk and you're boiling the baby in the mother's milk. He's just like, yeah, this is wrong. Now, <laughs> the Jews have taken this to a whole nother level where they say boiling means in the acids of your stomach. And... It's not just the goat and the baby goat, it's all flesh. So if you're in Israel and you wanna put a little butter on your bread while you're eating meat, they will have a conniption. Or if you wanna put a cheese on the hamburger, it ain't gonna happen. Matter of fact, when McDonald's originally wanted to go into Israel, uh, they said, no, no cheese. You know, what's in your cheese? They're not gonna tell you, because they do make products uh, the Jews make products that look like cheese and look like butter, look like milk. You think you're pouring milk into your coffee, and it's like some hybrid chemical thing. Don't don't go there. And um, and so they said, no, we're not going to do that. And Israel said, fine. And so they got the golden arches in Israel and called them McDavid's. And uh, they had a kosher. It didn't last long. McDonald's eventually came in and. No cheeseburgers, though. Um, and, of course, uh, uh, there's always a funny story where, you know, the guy's eating chicken and uh, would like a little cheese to put on his chicken. And, um, and the guy's like, no, you can't do that. That's, it's like, now, how do you milk a chicken exactly? <laughs> Did you cook this chicken? Did you milk the, the you know, whack, whack, you milk it. It gets ridiculous, but that's the, what they do with the law. Verse 20, behold, I send an angel, notice the capital A there, before you to keep you in the way that you shall bring it to the place which I have prepared. Now, again, I, I don't want you to get confused. When the original translators of the King James Bible were translating, they, they came up with a device of saying, we're going to translate certain words this way, unless you can't do it. And, and then we just won't. And unfortunately, this is one of those words that they just said every time this word comes up, which is the word for angel, messenger, it can even be the word word, we're just going to translate it angel. And so if you have an old King James Bible or a new King James Bible, you'll see that. And so what they did, though, is they said, well, we're sure in context this is not 
an angel, angel, so we'll capitalize it. But clearly in context, it's not an angel. Um, in Exodus 3, remember that? In, in verse 1 and 2, Moses saw a burning bush. And in verse 2, I didn't have it in the notes here, but Exodus 3, 2, the angel of the Lord was in that bush. It says the word angel. But then as you go on in verse 4 through 6, it clearly says it's the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, saw, turned aside, and God called to him from the midst of the bush. And then in Mark chapter 12, Jesus in his teaching plainly said, did you not hear what Moses said when God spoke to him from the burning bush? So this is the word messenger. And as you look in context here, in, in chapter um, 23 here, look at, go on and look at verse 21 there. It says, beware of him, obey his voice, do not provoke him, for he, he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is what? In him. Remember when the guy was being lowered through the roof and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And they start freaking out saying, nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus didn't disagree with that. He's like, yeah, you're right. So this angel, this messenger, this one bringing the word is going to be able to pardon transgression and my name is in him. This is Jesus. And this is what we, we clearly discover as we work our way through as the Old Testament are these Christophanies, our theophanies, the appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. Remember seeing there when he wrestles with Jacob, we see him there in the fiery bush with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, going on in verse 22, but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and, and, and an adversity, adversary to your, adversity, your adversaries. Uh, for my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. So listen, my angel will go before you and do this and I will cut them off. Remember that story with Joshua chapter five, when he's stressing out about how he's gonna conquer Jericho and trying to figure out what he's gonna do. And he's contemplating this and he comes up over this hill and there's this soldier standing in front of him. And he said, are you with our armies or their armies? And he said, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Listen to me. And it was Jesus. I will bring you in. I will cut them off. It's going to be me who's doing it. Now, Joshua wasn't wrong. Unless God clearly indicates any other way. We do what we humanly can, being open to the Spirit, led by the Spirit, flexible to the Spirit. But then God steps in at times and says, nope, uh, none of those plans you've thought up are my plans. i got a separate set of plans because I'm doing this in a pure way to bring glory. Well, in verse 24, and you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. God's going to say this over and over and over again. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriages or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Wonderful verses, verse 24 to verse 26. But guess what? The children of Israel, they had idols with them when they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. Guys, they didn't make it one generation. Not one generation. 40 years. It's written in the book of Judges. And none of the children of Israel knew their God or knew what their God had done bringing them out of Egypt. They were in the promised land completely ignorant. Their parents didn't tell them about God and what they knew about God at all. And they quickly worshipped the gods of the people around them and ended up in uh, peril because of it. Well, in verse 27... 
I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Remember Jericho? Rahab, they're like, yeah, we're trying to get in and figure out how to conquer this thing. And, and Rahab, the harlot who had hid the spy, said, what are you guys worried about? All these great warriors and these great giants and, and all this great army in, in, the, in Jericho, all their hearts have been melting within them because they've heard of the great things God has done with you and how he brought you out of Egypt and conquered all the armies up to this point. They're, they're, already, they're already ready to, to just lay down and let you kill them. They have no fight in them whatsoever. God did that. Well, in verse 28, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. Now, well, Brian, this can't be what I think it is. Wasp and bees and yeah, that's what it is. Is God creative and funny or what? God's just infinite. Go to the airport and just sit there for hours and you're just going, God doesn't have to repeat himself, does he? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send an army of, of pestering insects that sting people to, to really do the driving out. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Uh, but little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. In Deuteronomy, he'll go into this more saying that God is driving them out little by little unless the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. So if you don't have some of those Philistines and, and some of those Amorites and so forth taking care of your fields for you <laughs> and taking care of the barns and the animals for you, you're going to get too much farmland at one time and it's going to be too much cattle, too many sheep, too many houses, too many fields, and you, you won't be able to keep them going. So what I'm going to do is let like some of these guys hang out. They're planting the fields and fixing the barns and, you know, remodeling the house. And they're taking care of all these sheep. And then one day I'm just going to send all these hornets and they're going to go screaming, yelling. And then I'm going to put into your heart to go, hey, let's get rid of those pagans. And you're going to walk over and, and there's the stew on the kettle, you know, and, uh, and everything perfect. And it's going, hey, son, we don't have to build your house after all. Just move in here. Uh, you got a farm up and ready to go. That's, that was God's plan. Pretty amazing, isn't it? God's pretty amazing. He also says in Joshua 24, he's doing it this way because he wanted to make it clear it wasn't by their might or by their sword or by their bow, but they would recognize little by little, God is doing this. God is the one giving this to us. We'll finish it up in verse 31 to 33. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistine, from the desert to the river. There's a lot other times he describes the boundaries of Israel better, so I won't do it here. For I would deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. So here's the final word. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, <coughs> I will surely be a snare to you. So he just emphasizes this point over and over again. It just reminds me uh, uh, again where the New Testament warns us in the church to not let there be other gods before us. It can be your money. It can be your cars. It can be your job. It can be your children. Um, First John ends. Out of the clear blue, little children, beware of idols. We just constantly need to ask ourselves, God, am I bowing down to the world's idols around me? Am I bowing down to the American idol that's getting ready to start coming back on here in March? I, I think we got to ask ourselves and, and just say, am I compromising? What does he say here? Lest you commit the sins of those people that are around you. Those very people that I said, their ways are abomination to me. And I'm vomiting them out of the land and giving it to a worthy people. Don't become like those people that I hate.
Well, Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we're going line upon line, precept upon precept, just let the justice, the equity, the fairness, your heart ring out in us and give us wisdom. And we do ask, as we think of the judicial system, help our judicial system, help our executive system, help our legislation system. Please, Lord, give, put your angels around about and protect and bind the evil one for bringing such confusion and hurt and pain. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.